I'm Naki. This is the podcast after the blog, where we take a value and concept that we study and explore in the blog at filterthroughfiction.com and pull it out of that format and into a conversation where we can talk about what it might look like to operationalize and live that value. This week, we have a special guest as we talk about future generations, Miss Jackson Holmes. Hello. Yes, that's me. <laughs> yes. Glad you're here because we need help yeah. talking about future generations. Yes, I'm and glad you, to be here. You are a future so, generation, part of the future generation. I am, in fact. And that's how we kind of ended up inviting you here. <laughs> uh, because I remember when Nicole and I were talking about it, thinking... You know, our challenge in this to ourselves is to talk a lot about what does it look like? I mean, we can talk about a value in the big scheme of things, but then how do you make something happen using that value? Or what does it look like in your life Yeah. through your behavior? You know, what do you do if you value any of the, any of the concepts that we're look at, looking yeah. at? Yeah, I think future generations is especially important to me because I am, I live every day in as the future generation and having to live through those who don't quite recognize how to operate and how to work with a future generation and for a future generation. What do you think it looks like if you don't? But what does that mean when you say you, so they don't I know how? I think a lot of the, like, I think of specifically with politics, um, just because I've been kind of super involved with that lately, um, especially after the 2020 election, I've just been kind of just more involved and hoping to educate myself more. Um, But I see a lot of, like, especially lawmakers who create these laws to, that would change everybody's lives, but for their own purposes. And I think about this, especially with, like, climate change. Like, specific people don't want to adapt to, like, eco-friendly, like, don't want to make, like, um, mandatory electric cars or whatever. But they, the thing is, like, that may, they don't want that. But in the future, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be my friends and my like the people my age who are gonna be dealing with the after effects of that yeah. that aren't gonna and and by that point, those that are making the laws might be dead. Yeah, and so they're not gonna be the ones dealing with the repercussions of their mistakes. They just want to make decisions like for them exactly. right here, yeah, right it's now. A lot of selfishness <laughs> that is involved yeah. in America. Yeah. So then how do you balance that, though, with understanding that we would like to think that older means wiser means, you know, a bigger, wider perspective, um, been there, done that kind of mentality? How do we balance those two things, do you think? Right. And obviously, it's like, there's the part portion of this, there's a reason that kids aren't making laws. And there's a reason that they're not sending emotional teenagers to go, you know, write bills. (laughs) Um, But I think that I, it's not, I think a lot of people need to be more open to, like, people who write emails to their senators and taking advice and, um, like, especially students' perspective. And I had the um, really awesome honor of being able to listen to a a Senate Education Committee hearing a couple of times because the bill I was hoping to speak on wasn't being put onto the um, the docket wasn't it wasn't available or they weren't doing it that day. So, um, but it was a nice change to be like to watch and be able to witness people actually taking perspectives. And I think that's something that you can write your senators all day long, but unfortunately, it doesn't mandate them to read it. And so I think it's extremely important for people to be like, especially like politicians to like witness protests or um, advocation and advocacy as like a vocal and be able to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Just most importantly, that was a long rant to say, listen. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, isn't that interesting how that's so many things we talk about come back to that is Mm -hmm. that really listening and, and you know, you and I as mother and daughter, did we say that, that you're no, my daughter? We, we didn't, but okay. I, I figured we'd get around to uh, it yeah. at some point. Well, there you go. There We just did. There we are. Here we are. Uh, as mother and daughter, you know, talking about you, we say those things sometimes, right? Is that I, I know you're, I know you're he- listening, but are you hearing me? Are right. you, you know, um, and kind of that, I think speaks to the intent 
Yeah. Are you hearing my intent? Are yeah. you, you know, are we in the same place where you can understand why I'm talking or why I'm using, you know, why I'm using these words or what, I, what I'm trying to get you to, uh, to think and feel and, or to help you see perspective, you know? Um, so I think that's, it's interesting. But to really quickly answer your direct, directly answer your question, um, older and wiser, I think like, I do believe that there is some truth in that. I also believe that there are also more things that the younger generations are learning and there's more things happening and there's always something new. Um, and so I think when you get older, you also have a more closed mind because you're used to what you're used to. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. I think that younger generations can offer a more open because they're still learning. They're still being molded into a perspective. And so I think it's important to listen to those. I was actually reading a book today. Um, I think it's called Black Boy Out of Time. I will double check that. But he was actually talking about the concept of object permanence with um, uh, not yeah. infants necessarily. Yeah, I'm in a baby class and we were just learning about that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And just that concept, once they realize just because it's not in my field of vision does not mean that it's gone. And he actually flipped that into a conceptual idea of as adults, we get so rooted in what we have learned that we think like it's permanent. I can't unlearn it. I can't undo that. And it sounds to me like just because we're older does not mean that we really are necessarily wiser for the time that we're in right now yeah and there's a ton of change and I think really at the root of it it sounds like what lawmakers and adults in general should get more skilled at is empathy yes yes and that's a similar issue you know at work you know we talk about um, you see that happen where it's the older you know older and by older I don't necessarily mean age I'm talking yeah, about it's like, like been there. More tenured. Exactly. More I tenured guess. employees. Right. How we do tend to, you know, we definitely have situations where we default to them um, sometimes for very good reasons and other times for absolutely zero reason at all. I mean, yeah. you know, like or there's no good reason to do that. And it's really um, I think a lot of it is that like you were talking about the permanence. It's the. What you're talking about is change. Yeah. What you're talking about is saying what you've always known might not be right, which by just automatically is uncomfortable. And that's part of doing the work is yeah. to check ourselves, is to make sure that what we think we know, I mean, just because you're asking the questions doesn't mean that you have to change your mind. It doesn't mean you're wrong. Right. You might come right back to where you were. Uh, and that's something that I struggle with to, you know, really articulate, I think, whether you're in teaching or whether you're, you know, sharing a new idea is to remind people that listening does not mean change, does not mean, you know, I mean, being open to understanding someone else's perspective really does not mean anything for your own. And I think that goes both ways in the fact that sometimes you want people to listen to you so they can change their opinion. And so I think that can be something that, you know, both perspectives or both sides need to learn is just because you're telling something someone something doesn't mean they have to change their idea and they can have other opinions which is something that I'm still struggling to learn that I what I say doesn't have to directly like I don't what I'm gonna say doesn't mean that they're gonna change their right it may not convince them right yeah and just because it doesn't doesn't mean you can't be just as strong in those views and that you know, to validate that. And that, I think that is one of the challenges as well as, I mean, especially in parenting or grandparents and, and grandchildren, you know, the generational, anytime there's a, a close connection, then it matters more. Yeah. So that is more difficult, I think, to have younger generations that, or a person in, the young, in a younger generation that you want to and you would like to uh, have <laughs> their support and their validation. Um, and I think we think of it as children needing that from parents. Uh, I think it's it's equally true that parents also want that from children because it's connection. Yeah. And, and, you know, so it's universal and it, it really does, I think, offer a lot of value both in both ways. And so I think we forget how important that is and how it really does speak directly to our heart. And it is a, it matters to us yeah. a whole lot. And that's what makes it 
that's what makes it squishy. Right? And the squishy <laughs> stuff is the hard stuff. The issue squishy. Yeah, exactly. When you get squishy, you get. That's when you get sad and you get scared, uh, and you get you know you get uh, angry because out of that fear. And I think that's where we see so much of that conflict. And then we stop listening because we're scared. Yeah. Speaking of a different kind of connection, um, I know that recently we have seen things within the Idaho legislature that talk about wanting to censor our real, true life history. Yeah. In our history books, you know, and to gloss over the fact that, you know, we had slavery racism we had crimes yeah. against lgbtq communities sexism misogyny and so um one is this 1984 and yeah. two <laughs> uh you know we're not necessarily erasing those things but at least erasing those things from educational materials yeah um or defining them defining the narrative as dangerous like yeah the truth as dangerous yeah which, and it's really just rewriting or trying to glorify history which yeah. is not the point of history the point of history is to learn from it and <laughs> exactly. so when we glorify it it doesn't give us any room to grow glorify so, it or like diminish it right i mean yeah, like yeah. as in what they call whitewashing the yeah exactly whitewashing history how important do you think it is for us to stay connected to our history when we think of future generations i think um i was just kind of talking about this to mom um when we there are certain people who don't learn from their parents about racism because there are certain people that do not believe that racism is racism exists i had a history teacher this year who genuinely i don't know whether he believes this or not but he said that racism didn't exist until last summer which is like <laughs> okay um <laughs> i think there's a collective mind-blowing emoji going yeah. off in everybody's minds right now yeah and <laughs> i think that's extremely important because there are parents who don't teach their kids about that history um, because it doesn't directly affect them. And so when we um, when we put our kids in school, there's this expectation that they'll learn something. Yeah. And if parents are left to their own devices, especially in Idaho, we're a very conservative state. Um, and so when we put that legislature out there, um, there are kids that will genuinely grow up not knowing that racism is such a big deal or yeah. sexism or, um, you know, like LGBTQ rights, um, that those aren't something that were genuinely fought over. And like really people worked really, really hard yeah. just to, you know, begin on a base level. And we haven't reached true equality or equity. Right. And so if we eliminate this history of this, um, what we fought so hard to reach so far, it really slows down the process of the future. And we can't we can't grow further if we don't know what we're what we're growing we're trying to grow to. Yeah. And so it puts a lot of responsibility on parents, and parents aren't gonna want to won't choose to teach their children that. Sure. And some can't teach it adequately. And so it's extremely I it's I don't understand the bill. I don't <laughs> understand the purpose of it. I do understand the purpose of it. It's to I, I believe that it's trying to eliminate polarization um, in some ways and to think like, I think it's trying to increase like patriotism and make us like, oh yeah, we love America because look at how great our history is. But honestly, if we take this out of the, what is, else is there to learn? So much of what our country's history is, like we can't really learn about the Civil War if we don't talk about slavery. Yeah, We can't really learn about like um, the Civil Rights Movement because there's a big chunk of history and like, what are we going to be learning in yeah. history class? There's not much I can think of that doesn't involve some sort of rights fight or racism, sexism, homophobia. Like there's not much that I can think of that doesn't include that. So yeah. what, what creates milestones? I mean, mm -hmm. it is that struggle that creates, that's what makes it a part of history is that right. something shifted or something, you know, d didn't shift. I mean, that there yeah. is that, it is the struggle and the fight and the success or the failure or the, um, you know, the movement, I think, that is by default what defines history. Yeah. And so I don't, under I, I'm, I am like you, I don't understand what that would look like. And it sounds like they're just, I mean, talking about picking up pieces. Mm -hmm. And in reality, it is likely a misguided, um, like so many things, it's, it's in concept, um, what you're talking about, the patriotism or the the making things better and yet what does that actually look like yeah what how would you ever to your point 
what does it actually look like to have a book that ha- a history book that doesn't include any of that? And who is going to be that filter? Who's yeah. going to be the one, the person or the committee that goes and rewrites that? And, and if I'm not mistaken, two things, if I'm not mistaken, the bill includes teacher funding, doesn't it? I believe so. So they're trying to put the reason they want to pass it is because they have, it's like a persuasion technique, I guess, so that they give teachers funding and then, but and hey, they'll do what they history. <laughs> um, but I also like, again, on those milestones, if we don't have those milestones to look back on, how far do we slide into history before we realize we made a mistake? And before we start repeating it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So like, I don't know. I sure. mean, and, you know, and we, again, up. Because we talk about organizationally, and so many adults have the context of at work. I think that is, it's it's why would we not, it's kind of like quality assurance or, um, you know, checking on ourselves. Why would we not want to know? And why do we fear looking deeply into what are we doing? Yeah. You know, how well are we doing it? Well, there are a lot of people who bristle at that concept. And yet, it's because they are afraid of what you might see. Right. And so, and that's what you yeah. hear in this bill is that, you know, and I think from a parent's perspective, giving them the benefit of the doubt, I think it is, I'm afraid of what that sounds like when I'm not there, or I'm afraid mm-hmm. of what it, what children are learning that I don't get to be a part of, or I don't, I'm not able to frame in my way. And I, and I think you see and it's similar to the, the sex ed bill, right? Exactly. I was say. That's what I was yep. about to say is um, the bill that I was advocating against and speaking on was to change the definition of sex ed in the curriculum and also just change the curriculum in general and make it um, basically the parents have to opt their child in instead of the opt out option. Gotcha. Um, So it just limits access to sex ed, which is there's so many things wrong with it. And just starting with the way the bill is written, it's a thing of it is that like that fear of and when you hear people speak in affirmation of it, you hear a lot of parents that are like, I don't want my, they, it's almost like they don't want to lose contact with their kid because they're afraid of what they're learning in school. And they, and a lot of them bring up the extremes. Um, and I think that's the same thing that goes for this bill and a lot of bills that involve education um, is that they're afraid of their kids turning against them mm-hmm. yeah. or turning against what they believe. or And so if you teach your child that like, hey, a lot of people in the 1960s really cared about civil rights. I think there's a fear of like promoting that behavior parents see a lot of and like, yeah, those extremes like, oh my goodness, what if my kid starts, you know, rioting and looting? And that's like, that's such a far extreme that has yet to be seen. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's just a very much of a like, um, there's a lot of hypotheticals. That reminds me of, I just, just watched that documentary for they know not what they do, which is a, um, it's, it takes the religious aspect of parental response to their children who are either there was one that was transgender there was one that was uh, one family that talked about their son um, that was gay and I mean a couple of stories like that where and where the parents absolutely I mean say it sounded exactly like what you're talking about I mean the parents when their child turned to them to say this is me um, it was met with (laughs) that's not that's not okay. That's not what we do. Right. That's not, uh, you know, what, what's God going to think? Um, and this idea that this fear of losing connection mm-hmm. in that a response is immediate disconnection. I was going to say like the, to push them away. Cause like, I think I can relate a little to what you're sharing here. <laughs> that response is what creates immediate separation. Yes. Like it's not like, Oh, we feel disconnected. It's like you took a hatchet and you severed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and you, what just, we've shared for yeah. 16 mm-hmm. years, 20 years, 25 years. And we grow up. I mean, even in the worst situations, we, her parent, I mean, is the number one connector I mean, connection, right? Yeah. Even in those, you know, how powerful it is to know that even a child that is mistreated, that is abused, I mean, that is still, that's all they know. Yeah. And that is still their person um, until they learn what a healthy, you know, or, or have access to a healthy relationship. Sure. And to think of that, I mean, it is, it is heartbreaking. And also to think about what drives that. You know, I have to have some empathy for the parent who is clearly driven by fear. Yeah. Really, truly driven both as a selfishness, meaning I don't know what this means for me. I don't know how to do right. this right. 
I don't, I'm going to look foolish. I'm going to look stupid. I'm a sinner. Like, All what, the things. What will, what will everyone think? Exactly. You know? Right. So very, very selfish response. At the same time, also, clearly you can hear a concern for their child, you know, yeah. and I, and I think of it as, I can feel that, right? It is really difficult uh, to know. I mean, you want to protect your kids and it's really <laughs> difficult to know that they may be stepping out on their own independently and putting themselves in a place that they're going to hurt or be embarrassed or be scared. Yeah. That is not easy. At the same time, that is critical to our development. It yeah. is critical to us learning who we are. It is real tough to say, <laughs> be confident, know who you are, yeah. and then say, but I'm going to protect you from ever learning that. Yeah, I can't imagine the amount of tension that probably exists in that moment where it's like, I really want to protect you, but I also have to honor yeah. your your journey and whatever these emotions, and these things are. I, going back to that um, parenting and child development class I'm learning I'm in right now, it's a lot, we learned about, like, earlier in the year, we learned about the different types of parenting. There's, like, authoritarian and, like, the permiss uh, permissive, I think is what it's called. And there is one that I am blanking on the word, but it's, like, a really overprotective parent. Mm -hmm. And the effects of that type of parenting is uh, children become very isolated. They become, like, socially awkward, and they can't, they don't learn to function on their sure. own. And that's like a really, um, the ideal parenting technique is supportive. It's like a mix of all of them combined. <laughs> um, but the parents who don't, um, who are very overprotective of their kids. Is it like helicopter parenting? Yeah, kind of. Um, I don't remember. There's like a specific word. That I'm actually, sure there's a psychological is. word to it. Is it the Queen BB who talks about lawnmower parenting? Yes. About how yes. you go before your kid and you like yes. prepare the path. Knock anyway. every obstacle yep. down mm -hmm. before you get there. Yeah, you know, like so make, clear the way. Yeah. In a way, I think it. Yeah, could exactly. apply. But in the effects, um, are just you're not setting your as much as you think you are. You're not setting your kid up for success. Sure. You're just making it so that once they do become independent, they're not going to be able to function on their yeah. own. But let's talk about the struggle in that because at the same time, you want dependency. You absolutely, because, and this is true of adults as well, and we see this at work, where, mm -hmm. yes, we want, you know, we want independence, we want autonomy until it means I have to take responsibility for it. And I think children do the same thing. The children, preteens, teenagers, it's I want all the ownership of having, you know, I mean, as simple as you can get is I want a car, mm -hmm. but wait, I don't. I don't want to, I mean, I'm not going to pay for the gas. I don't want to pay for the insurance. <laughs> the car insurance. <laughs> I don't, I mean, you mean I have to, wait, what? It's like the ownership met with like responsibility and accountability. Yes, exactly. And so you see that at work where it's, yes, put me in charge, but I'm afraid to make a decision or I'm going to say I'm afraid to make a decision or I'm going to say I need your help when in reality it means I don't want, I'm afraid of being responsible for it or I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's not easy. I don't know how. And I think that is an interesting uh, balance as well that we have to find and a really, really uncomfortable one <laughs> as you start to navigate. I mean, there is, it's no secret, right? All the stereotypes about teenagers um, and all of the, you know, and the parenting of teenagers, it's not a secret as to why those exist because you are very much watching this person that you have helped to create and helped to shape um, for and all the um, for all the good that that you appreciate, you know, and I know I've told this story about my kids, um, you know, I tell the stories about those moments where they really checked me. I mean, they've really <laughs> kind of, you know, whether it's Allie at home, you know, Allie saying, Yes, I'm going to wear this uh, this Supergirl outfit to dinner with her hands on her hips. And <laughs> Jack says, Jackson's got the best one-liner. <laughs> exactly, yes. I am so sorry your mama taught you to treat people this way. Right? <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but oh, man. Oh, if only you could have seen her head roll at the same time. It was sass, and I think she was three, uh, three or four. And, yeah, she pitied me. I mean, it was, it was masterful manipulation at a very early age. Uh, and I was impressed. I'm not gonna lie it was wow i mean wow uh the first thought is she is her mother's daughter uh the second thought was oh 
like I'm impressed. You know, I'm kind of good. The third was, don't you ever, ever think you're going to talk to me like that, right? Um, and the fourth was, I'm going to call that person that taught me to treat you this way and see what she has to say about it. That's your Gigi. Go ahead, talk to her. Um, and, you know, and Allie saying, I, you know, this makes me feel strong. Yes, I'll do what I want um, in a way that was in, was very, very independent and very healthy. Um, and I think having those moments that you have to recognize that I have in very in a very proud way created children that will stand up for people that will stand up for others that will very much um, listen to those who don't always get listened to and will probably go out of their way to be an ear and and at their expense oftentimes you know I've seen it happen and I love that it's also painful yeah. because I know that it it feels big and I know that they have no other context. Mm -hmm. And then it really does feel like the worst thing ever because to this point in their life, it, it is. is. <laughs> exactly. It is. Which is, again, the challenge of we've had those you know, younger employees, new employees coming in. And I've been frustrated at their lack of resilience. Yeah. Their... Um, you know, lack of grit. And and I don't say that as a weakness or as, as a knock, but it's... It's just they're not old enough to yes, have developed it. Exactly. And probably because of that parenting, we see that ebb and flow of the parenting and the generational styles. Sure. When you know, the 80s, the, the moms that were working, um, or before that, where their moms were at home, then women said, I'm, forget that, right? I don't sure. want, I don't want to be at home. I want to, I want to have a job. I want to be a career woman. And then it was, we were raised as, you know, our generation, the Gen X's were raised as latchkey kids because moms were working and moms and there was a higher divorce rate. And so there was a lot more single parenting. And so um, you see this ebb and flow. And so sure. I think you want then to be what you didn't have because you yeah. think that's the magic answer, you know. And so um, you try to find the right way and you never do it quite right. You you recognize all those those flaws that you see and yet... Also, I think it's so critical that we work, that we say that, right? like everything else, that we talk about that, that, yeah. that we are able to not cause so, not have to have so much hierarchy or so much space in between people, space mm -hmm. in between generations, space in between those authority figures and our, then the people who work with us or work for us. There has got to be a place where we say, it, it doesn't, so what, that I'm in charge. We really are working toward the same thing. Yeah. Um, I recognize that you may not understand why some things are happening or you don't have that perspective. And I also have to remember that I probably felt very similarly. Um, I did have a first job. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, I take for granted so much. Uh, I give my parents a ton of credit for certain things they taught me and then certain things that just came innately. And as annoying as they were, you know, I know I hear it. I hear it. And yet, thank goodness that at some point you're able to develop that and really, truly start to to own it and to feel good in it. And to I, I hope I wish we could do that earlier. I think I wish I wish we could be better at allowing our our kids to develop that independence early on. And I think a lot of it has to do with us accepting as parents and as grandparents and as um, mentors and as as managers and bosses, letting go of some of that, I guess, yeah. and accepting more. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I I have nothing to say on the matter. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any response. Okay. I'm just listening. That's that's often how it goes with Karen and I. One of <laughs> us will make a point and be like, yep, I have nothing to add. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so if we have we talked about like how we, my question would be then, if we go back to that, concept of operationalizing it or put it in putting it into action mm -hmm. what does it look like for for us to have or to allow or to value future generations in a way that feels meaningful to you i think um i mean it goes back to the listening and i think honestly okay so there's this this generational like um delay if that's the right word to use, but like you see, especially online, is that there's a lot of mockery coming from like millennials to Gen Zs to baby boomers to Gen Zs that goes back and forth. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of, I think there's frustration from, I'm Gen Z, so that's the only generation I can really, I don't think there's been a generation after me. 
we're kind of tired of it. Um, and not just like mockery online, but in the fact that like baby boomers set up a world where we're not thriving. And this isn't as, um, you know, they brag about the 80s, but like we're not doing much. We're not doing great. Um, and so I think there's a lot of this like older generations like to say that they're do that their time was best. And I think Gen Z kind of wishes that they could say that, but at this point, they can't. Sure. We can't really say that we're living in one of the best times is because we aren't. And I think there's this, like, past generations set up a country where we we have to go back and clean up the messes. We have to fix the climate crisis. We have to um, fix equality. Like, we have to reach those points because what else can we do? Sure. Like, we aren't able to move past. And I think a lot of future generations are like, okay, we're tired of this. Like, let's move on to something new. But we can't because that's all we have. Like, we're not – this isn't set up great for Gen Z. And so I think I – yeah, it just all goes back to listening. I mean, like – And I think an older generation would tell you the fact that you, a 15-year-old female who was able to log in to a – legislative uh, committee, mm-hmm. right, and testify That's where, yeah. on a bill. <laughs> I knew it was, but I just stayed quiet because I was supporting my she was the future generation. <laughs> exactly. Supportive parent over there. <laughs> I did not lawnmower <laughs> anything out of your way. Uh, if Is lawnmower a verb? Because I just made it a verb. It is now. I, I, I lawnmowered mean, it out of there. I think it would just be uh, mow. But. Yeah, no, I think lawnmowered. <laughs> okay. Far more efficient than mowed. Uh, I didn't, you know, I think that's, that is what they would say. They would say yeah. that that is progress and it'll never be enough. And, yeah. It will never be enough. And we will never have arrived, which is true of life and true of growth. And, and that, so I think just taking a moment and pausing and recognizing that is value. And, and yeah, and I guess that that's the, that's the hard part is that as much as you do, you're not going to be able to change the entire world. Like you can make an impact. You can um, make a difference, but... Martin Luther King made a difference, but we're still not seeing racial equality. We're not seeing equity, um, which I think is a more important thing we need to be focusing on um, because we can say equality all we want, but until we see actual equity and a starting point, then that's um, better. But that's a tangent. Um, (laughs) I like I and that's the hard part. And that's something that I think everybody has to come to terms with is the fact that there's we can only make it better for the next generation. Like, that's all we can do. And I just, and I, I recognize that. It's, like you said, it's just never enough. No, and that's your INFJ talking as well, just to be clear, <laughs> so that we can bring a Myers-Briggs type into this conversation as well, because it fits in every one of them. It does. But that is, you know, here we sit as NFs, in, uh, you know, and NFJs who want to make something happen mm-hmm. and who very much see potential and very much see the future, it is probably especially painful for us to, n- to not, I mean, we are naturally wired to say, what next? Mm-hmm. And there's more. And if this is great, what if? And in a way that says, it would be awesome. And we can see the path so clearly yeah. that there is nothing more frustrating than feeling like we cannot make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's the way we're wired. And so mm-hmm. that's why we also have to listen and remind ourselves, I think, intentionally and deliberately choose to see some of the, the benefit. As I, you know, I see the, the sass and the, and the confidence and then I have to look and I feel that and I know the, the resistance because gosh, wouldn't it be easier if everyone and you know, all your children were just like, yeah, everything you say is awesome. It's great. I'm just gonna, <laughs> let me help you. How can I help you? What can I do for you today? Uh, and it's, that's not real. And yet taking a moment and recognizing all of the beauty that is uh, around us and all sure. of the true, uh, amazing, you know, insight and perspective that can be found even in the most uncomfortable, the protest, in the advocacy, in the uh, screaming and in the yelling and in the crying and the running away, right? If we can listen and if we can truly dig into what that is, if it's somebody shutting down at work, if it's somebody lashing out at home, I mean, it's, I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. And hopefully we can come to a place where that's, you know, we find a better path. 
but hear me, see me, know me. I think that's yeah. that is what that boils down to. And if we can find that between our generations, mm-hmm. then what an amazing thing to take the perspective and the wisdom yeah. and the resources that that generally speaking older generations sure. have, uh, and and then channel that energy and you know excitement and unique perspective of younger generation together. That's I think that's the magic. Yeah, yeah. I think really in a way we're just really at the root of it talking about is each generation leaning in and humanizing one another. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, when I hear you talk about like the mockery and yeah. you know, like how that might start off lighthearted, but right. ultimately it becomes in nature demeaning and to start to feel dehumanized at some level over something is like one, I cannot control when I was born. And yeah. Like your generation created me. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so uh, you're you're mocking me, though it was your generation who put me in the world, so to mm-hmm. speak. And I learned so, by watching you. Yeah, and it's true. <laughs> I, I think one of the major, another major point is that stubbornness that comes with that, and um, like older generations. I mean, they they've created, like they've lived their life. Obviously, not completely, but like. They've set up a, a basis for what they are, and they've hopefully figured out who they are. Um, and there's that, that, that again, I mean, I think majority of these issues are rooted in fear of change. And there's a stubbornness of like, no, I'm not going to, I keep bringing about the climate tri- crisis because that's the most like thing I can think of that's directly affecting younger generations. It's not like I, you switching to an eco-friendly car doesn't really put you out. Right. But it, you not doing it puts out younger generations. <laughs> but there's that stubbornness of like, this is how I've been doing it. This is how I live. This is how I grew up. And that, that fear of change, which... Yeah, yeah, I think it is on some level for some of those people. And you're right. I do hope what we call doing the damn work. <laughs> um, I hope a lot of people have, you know, started that journey we never complete it in my opinion Mm -hmm. but i think a lot of that is being rooted in a sense of nostalgia versus a sense of reality yeah you know when you talk about like uh you know somebody from who was in their prime so to speak in the 80s and like that was the best time i'm like can we remember like the cocaine crisis and all of the systemic ways like we set up the black community to Mm Uh, just be incarcerated over and over and over again and to actually push them these drugs and things like that and just put them in that cycle you know like part I mean I can look at that as somebody who was born in the 80s but grew up in like the 90s and think like what are you talking about (laughs) like that was not the best time of our lives yeah but that's a sense of being rooted in nostalgia versus like reality yeah and ideal idealizing what you've been through and what you grew up in and even taking it out of a political realm look at food and look at nutrition and the 80s and the 90s and the you know the low fat it was magic it was really like you can eat all of this food and be i mean you can eat what you want and you can eat ice cream and you can low fat ice cream and you can eat all these things and and the pyramid and you know ta-da and then we find out it was politicized and the sugar industry and the yeah. lobbyists and the, I mean, in a lot of ways, it was Shell much Obama. like the cocaine s- yeah. situation. I mean, it was, it was absolutely just, driven it was by just money. It a completely different kind of drug. It was. Sugar. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> but like, it's don't tell me, don't tell me there aren't sugar addicts out there. <laughs> no, 100%. And it's, and we were taught that this was the right thing and it was the yeah. great thing and it was, it was wonderful. Um, and I think, so it goes back to, well, that sounds awesome. Like, who wouldn't want that? Yeah. Right? Doesn't that sound great? And so we, we latch on to this. It's really, really easy. So it's almost like convenience. Um, as you're talking about the climate and, and you know, and talking about um, a car or a vehicle that, that works, you know, that find one that's eco-friendly, we have a family of six. Yeah. So as soon as you smaller. say that, absolutely. As soon as you say that and I say, okay, let's road trip in a... Whatever, you know, a Prius. A, a yeah. Prius. Right, and a Prius, suddenly... I have a request. Can you include 
Atlas in the car ride. <laughs> I mean, right? Atlas in the Prius on my lap because that's exactly where he'd want to be. And Lucy and her breath yeah. on the floorboard. Uh, and here we go. We're road tripping. And so there is a, in an immediate, in, in an instant, mm-hmm. you have to choose. And right. humans, we say, well, I mean, I it would be fine. It's comfort over, con- it's, it's comfort and convenience over change. Yeah, preference, right? Which is why we talk about purpose. Oh Lord! Did she just mock my? (laughs) Did she just mock purpose? You bring it up at least once, twice a week. Amen. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen. Uh, Right. It is a purpose over preference issue in a lot of ways. Where and it also goes back to when we know better, we do better. But we don't want to know better. Because yeah. it's hard when we know better. Because well, we, then we're accountable for yes. that knowledge. <laughs> and it's, you know, and how do we find a way to say, gosh, I thought I was doing it right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't believe, I think that's part of the issue too. And it is part of what I think I would say to you as a younger generation is to say, is to say as you are the generation, you know, a member of the younger generation, but for a second also, and, and I've said, you know, be careful because I think those extremes can come out in all of us. And so like, be careful to assume that somebody ever set out to not, you know, to not do it better. Cause I think in every time, every step of the way, I really believe that most people have the best intent, even if it's short-sighted, even if it's perhaps not as developed, there are times when we say we have to do something. And so we start down that path. I think the the danger is in not checking back in as we go yeah. to make sure that what we thought was happening and to then not let politics, money, greed, convenience, lack, you know, not wanting to be de- uncomfortable. That's what gets in the way. Yeah. And the older we get, the less we have to listen. The harder it is to listen, the longer you've been doing what you do and making it work for you. Mm-hmm. We can make a lot of dysfunction work, and we can convince ourselves. Uh, every one idealization, of us. sure, of like this is what the intent was. So we're going to pretend that that's actually how it's functioning, and we're going to we're going to hope, or we're going to yeah. And instead of actually and looking at real information, I'm reading Animal Farm right now, so communism comes to mind, and the fact that it's great and it's it seems functional in a on a paper and as an idea but when you actually put it in action that's when it becomes a little less of like a how what do we do from here because this isn't working yeah but um and like even especially in during like stalin's reign there was a lot of propaganda that was like hey it's it's working just great (laughs) in like in the book they're they're telling the animals that they're gonna um have only three-day work weeks but that never happens yeah because that's not how it works. And we idealize this and we're like, okay, if we just pretend that this is going to work, then it will. That's overselling it too. You want to yeah, get people gaslighting. Sure, exactly, right? <laughs> Why? I, I thought this was supposed to be perfect. Um, you're the problem, right? You're not yeah. making this work. If, if you were better, perfect. right, if you were better, then right. this would this would work. And so, and it is dehumanizing. It, as you said, that's, it's not listening. It's, um, and it's also can feel dehumanizing, I think, to hear you didn't do it, right? You messed it up. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, to your point, is that I don't think that's the intent. Or, I mean, you know, you're talking about the, the older folks who think, hey, we gave you everything. You've messed it up, right? right. You're not doing it right. <laughs> if only yeah. you did it right. I think that, again, I think it's just as easy to turn back and say, no, no, you messed it up. And I think it's... Yeah, but what is right? I mean, everyone has a different perspective of what right looks like. And that depends a lot on the generation you were raised in and the environment you were raised uh, raised in. Because if you were, or like raised in a town of like high crime or just like you feel like that you have that fear, then maybe you're going to want to have more like a gun in your house because that's what you're used to. But if you're used to like being and living in a safe environment, then you could easily point out people and say, no, you're flawed. Like, sure. why would you want a gun in your house? Because there's no reason you need protection but that's not the case for everyone and that's the part where it's difficult to realize and that comes back to privilege yeah, absolutely and perspective yeah. right? uh-huh. the lgbtq community had you ever you know have you ever been you as a as a cisgender mm-hmm. girl right who is by all accounts at this point fitting pretty well into what quote-unquote social norms Mm -hmm. do you have a way to understand what it would be like to be 
to be attacked or to be dehumanized, to be devalued in the most extreme way by your family. Yeah, I've only ever witnessed it on other people's. Right. And that's Um, painful. Yeah. For you. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've heard you talk about that. Yeah. And so to not understand that, it's this this privilege that you are so thankful for. Well, and and I think that that's, that also comes back to like, people don't want to feel that pain for other people. So they deny it. Right. And they think like, oh no, like everybody's just fine over here. Right. <laughs> and that, yeah. you know, people who genuinely don't believe racism is a, a social issue are people who are just living in fear of. What if it is? Yeah, exactly. And um, people are legitimately experiencing that pain and, and, and people deny that. And yeah. I can't even imagine being denied. Like, feel, first of all, feeling that pain and being attacked and being, I mean, killed, but not, but then other people straight up denying. Discounting it. Or yeah, exactly. It. Yeah. Yeah. Which is another level of, of dehumanization. And privilege. Because if you get to pretend that that doesn't exist, then the existence of it is directly benefiting There's you. There's literally no higher privilege. Right. Yeah. And I say use that. You know, recognize your privilege. Don't, don't use it as a shame. Like I, that is not in what is intended to say. Mm-hmm. It's, I say the only shame is in not recognizing it and not using it for good. Yeah. Not right. using it. I mean, if you have the advantage of being listened to, use that voice Use your good. voice. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, if you have the ability to be an ally, and, be an ally. And I went be to an advocate. vigil protest thing the other day, and that was... We, um, they gave everybody a chance to just speak their perspective. And I said that, like I had, I have a very idolized version of police. Um, it was for Dante Wright, but, um, and I, and I, I just, I, it felt really nice to be able to be in an environment and to witness. I will never be able to experience that. I will never experience being black in America, but to be able to talk to people that have and to be able to hear people's voices and to be able to speak and say thank you to people who have educated me on that experience. And that feels good. And I think that's something a lot more people can do because you will talk to anybody that has experienced any sort of um, inequality and they will be happy to educate you on yeah. it. Nobody is like not, it's like, no, I'm not going to tell you about that because that's, and all it takes is saying, hey, could you please educate me on this? And yet we have people who say, I don't want you to be educated. So that is how we put this into action. Mm-hmm. I think that is my hearing all of this. To me, I say that's how we put this into action is that we don't let people stop listening. We don't make it so that you don't have a voice. Mm-hmm. We don't make it so that we do not provide intentionally and deliberately provide that space for you to be heard for me to be heard for generations before me to be heard and to recognize that every one of us has a voice in that and every one of us has the ability to use that wisdom uh you know fresh perspective wherever you are in that again resources um, lack of resources because yeah. that gives you drive. Yeah. You know, use that. We have got to make and create and force open the spaces where that is expected and welcomed. Yeah. I would say, uh, as a summarization of what we've talked about in terms of what it would be like to operationalize future generations as a value, as I've just kind of taken notes here, like one, like don't let people stop listening to one another. Keep asking each other for our stories, honor one another's experiences, advocate, listen, empathize, and above all humanize one another. There's nothing that says, you know, it's that whole, there's no if at the end of treat everyone with dignity by showing them respect, Mm -hmm. period. Or unless, or, yeah. Right. Not unless, not if. Yeah. It's period. And there is not one of us who cannot or who is not able or does not have the capacity to do that. It is a choice. You do the damn work. Do the damn work. Is there anything else either of you would like to add regarding future generations? I don't think so. I just think it's important. Like, if someone isn't talking to you, doesn't start the conversation, then by all means, start the conversation. Yeah. It doesn't matter who starts it as long as the conversation happens and as long as you 
I mean, are listening and you're yeah. educating yourself. And that's what's so important about this legislature when students stop going to school and listening to um, and hearing stories of, I mean, even Harriet Tubman, like everyone knows who that is. And to think that you wouldn't, like a woman sacrificed her life many times yeah. for human, basic human rights that a lot of us in Idaho have always had. That that was never an issue for um majority of us and so in idaho specifically but um yeah once those conversations stop happening then we stop working towards our goal yeah and we can't stop listening to the conversations we don't want to hear too exactly i think that is also a huge challenge Mm because i i know i i don't want to hear (laughs) the you know the person that is putting the bill out and yet how else can i possibly understand understand it and work to educate or to inform or to help, um, you know, kind of drive change if I don't understand from where they are coming. And so I think that also is equally true of all of us, not just listening to what you want to hear, but really truly learning to be uncomfortable and to lean into those very, very difficult conversations and listening even more to the, the teacher that you don't want to hear so right. that you can understand what drives that. And so I can understand, I mean, even figuring out like where I stand. Sure. Because I can't, I, I, I think a lot of people and what a lot of the problem is, is people see only a certain perspective because that's all they were taught. Yeah. That's all they've seen themselves. And so once we start having conversations openly and sharing opinions, despite what others may believe themselves, that's when we begin to carve the future generations and be able to make imprints and shape them into the best version they can be. And starting from early on, we have to also build that confidence in our children. And so we have to allow them to be uncomfortable and mm-hmm. to allow them to experience their life and to build their own truth and to build that that way of being their best, truest, authentic self. Because that's the only way I think that we can have enough uh, I guess enough willingness and enough of ourselves to be willing to put into doing the work because yeah. that takes a lot. And I think that is yeah. a critical piece as well. And so that would be my, you know, my push and my ask is to remind ourselves of that, that it is so important to allow, allow that, right? I mean, not, not to just shut it down. And yeah. I'm talking to myself when I say, you know, <laughs> don't just shut down that voice when it gets yeah. too loud, or when it, you know, in your mind, it gets too loud, too much. Uh, let it be heard. Don't let somebody shrink away. Don't let somebody hide um, just because they're, they need to be told, I want to hear you. Yeah. I do want to hear you. Um, we can certainly help guide and direct in a way that, that helps them to be heard. Because I think there's a lot of, yeah. a lot of um, lesson in that as well. Because screaming the loudest person in the room doesn't always get heard. Right. And also, but if, if someone isn't directly coming up to you, make sure your voice is heard. Sure, that's what I mean. Drag yeah. it. Yeah, pull, pull Ex- it out. Um, sure. Good keep job. the conversations going. Jackson, yeah. thank you for joining us thank today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. It's fun it to good. hear you. As always, Andrea, thank you for sitting down and talking about values with me. And I have to slightly adjust today's tagline from till next time, do the damn work. Also allow our future generations to do the damn work without getting in the way. (laughs) So perfect. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you guys next time. Bye. Goodbye. Adios.